to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 8 through 12. Uh, we, we left off last week reading verses 8 and 9 and referencing them briefly. Uh, but we're going to take some time tonight to really dive into verses 8 and 9. But I'm going to read to you verses 8 through 12. Peter says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Now, I just want you to know, like I've just said, we're going to be focusing mostly on verses 8 and 9. We will reference verses 10 through 12. We'll study them next time when we get back together next week. Um, Like I said, one of the main reasons why we need to spend some more time in verses 8 and 9 is we're not really seeing many Christians today who are filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. I mean, we have to be honest. And we have to deal with that. And too often we just skim over and say, well, that's how it should be, but then we just move on. Remember last week we talked about the fact that there are signpost Christians. Remember, a signpost points the way to the city, but the signpost never goes there. And there are many Christians that know the truth, and they can point the truth out, and they can speak the truth to people, but they don't live it. They don't experience it. Well, tonight I want to move it into another realm, and I want to talk to you about being tour guide Christians. See, a tour guide knows the way to go, can point you to the way to go, but the tour guide's also been there. The tour guide can take you there, the tour guide's experienced it, and a tour guide, I want you to be a tour guide Christian who not only knows the truth and can point the way, but you can actually say, been there, and this is what he's doing for me, and I want to show you how to live that way as well. And so we need to take some time to really take a look at this, and there are some reasons why, um, from this passage we can see, that most Christians today aren't filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. Before we go any further, just we don't ask for any names or anything like that, but think to yourself, who do you honestly know as a Christian today, brother or sister in Christ, whether in your church or another church or whatever, who do you know that's really filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy? Someone that, for the most part, as, as you look at their life and you watch them, they really live at peace. Even in the midst of trials and struggles, they're not up and down with the, with the waves of whether or not they're having issues or anything or not. They're just literally someone that is at peace. They have joy. They trust the Lord and they walk in that. And, and all. So, I should think about that. And you, if you can think of any, you probably only can think of one or two. You're saying one. Another person over here is saying one. And that's sad, but here Peter says you are filled with a glorious and expressible joy. And there's something that's going on here, and I want you to see tonight from this text as to why that we're not experiencing this, why we're not seeing it. The, the first thing I want you to see is this. Peter says that the reason for this joy is because we are receiving the salvation of our souls which is the goal of our faith. Now I want you to stick with me here. We touched on something last week that I want to remind you of that will kind of head us to where we need to go. Remember last week we talked about the fact that salvation involves three parts. Remember? Remember there was the salvation that occurs or the salvation that begins when you come to know Christ. We looked at Luke 19 verse 9 where Jesus said to Zacchaeus, salvation today, his salvation has come to this house. But there's more to salvation than just when you came to know Christ. 
You're in the process of being saved as we take a look at Philippians 2 where it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. And we also looked at the fact that the Bible says that there is a coming aspect of our salvation. And how here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, some of us would say, wait a minute, how, what does it mean my salvation's coming? I've already received my salvation. Well, your salvation has three parts. Your justification, your sanctification, and your glorification. But I don't want you to look at it that way right now. For too long, I think we have looked at justification, sanctification, and glorification. And I think it's hurt us, and here's why. I think we've looked at our salvation as three separate things. You see, we were justified... We're in the process of being sanctified. And one day we're going to be glorified. We see that as three different things. If I were to ask you, have you received the salvation of your soul? You'd say yes. But you would be thinking justification, wouldn't you? You, It wouldn't even cross your mind to think of your sanctification process as being a part of your salvation. Now we know, as you'll sit there nodding, yeah, that's a part of my salvation. But we don't even think of that, do we? When we hear the salvation of your soul, we hear justification. What I want to do tonight is I want to show you that scripturally here, the Bible is talking about the salvation of your soul as the whole process. So when you talk about we're receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls, we're not talking just justification. You understand? We're talking about the whole deal. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. I want you to see tonight from the scriptures that salvation is referring to the whole process. Um, So... Well, don't we love to talk about the glorious day when we were saved? And don't we love to talk about the fact that that there is a glory that's coming that we don't even fully understand? How come we don't see the part we're in right now as glorious? Let me say that again. We love to talk about that glorious day in which we were saved. And I remember when I was baptized as a young kid in New Hampshire. When I came up out of the water, I felt like a piece of stained glass. I literally felt like the sun was shining through me. The glory that was happening at that moment. I remember when I walked down the aisle in this gymnasium at a high school and an evangelistic rally and gave my life to Christ. I knew that I had been born again. Something had happened to me. And then when I got baptized, when the water was, when the ice was melted, and I was, I was able, that was when I felt, I felt the glory of God. And we love to talk about the glorious day in which we were saved. And we love to talk about the glory that's coming. Let me show you some scriptures that talk about that. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I heard you laugh over there, Allison. I think you know where that is, right? Romans chapter 8, look at verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? We see our day of salvation as a wonderful time of glory. We see the coming salvation as the time of glory. But we don't see now as a time of glory. Something's wrong. Let me show you another verse or two. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 17. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal what? Glory that far outweighs them all. We again see that there's coming a day of glory. One more, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Just back up to 1 Corinthians. Look at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 
However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Folks, I want to hammer this home. I want this to sink in in such a way that you go, you know what, He's right. I need to deal with this aspect. We see the day of our salvation as glorious. We see the coming of our salvation when we're glorified as glorious. But no, very few Christians today see this part of our salvation, the process of us being saved, the process of sanctification. We don't see that as glorious. If I ask most Christians, how are you doing? You've heard me say, they say, hanging in there. Doing the best I can. I don't hear glory. I don't see glory. Oh, tell me about the day you're saved. Oh, that was glorious. Tell me about what's going on in heaven. Oh, that's going to be glorious. But the Bible says that this part's supposed to be glorious too. You say, Jim, where does it say that? Well, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verses 7 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. It says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, be even more glorious? In other words, before we go any further, make sure you're with us. When God sent the Ten Commandments, which brought death, remember, that just showed you what you couldn't do, and when you tried, you couldn't, and the law brings death. When, when that came, there was so much glory from God at that moment that when Moses was in the presence of God, he just started to glow. And he would actually put a veil over his face because it was scaring people when he'd come down from the mountain. He says, if the ministry that brought death was glorious, how much more glorious should be this ministry of the Holy Spirit within us that has given us life? Keep reading. Go uh, verse 9. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has now no glory in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we, have a, a, we, there, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. And even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with what? Ever-increasing glory. Somebody translates and say glory to glory. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This isn't talking about when we get to heaven, is it? This is talking about now. There should be something going on with us in this aspect of our salvation, this part of the salvation of our souls, that makes us filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. And let's be honest. We're not. We're hanging on by faith. And you're going to see tonight, part of the reason is, and I pray that I don't run ahead of myself because I want to start preaching too quick. And I want to make sure I lay this foundation here. Part of the problem is, is a lot of the preaching we've grown up under over the years has not understood this. 
And for a lot of the preaching we've, under, we've grown up under the years has said it's a wonderful thing that God did that He saved you. Now you've got to do your part in this part of the salvation process. And that's never what the Bible has taught. And I want you to see that what the Bible teaches about how we receive the beginning part of our salvation through justification, that exact same way is how we are to live it all the way through. And if you can grasp the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, and when you hear salvation of your souls, I hope by the end of the night you don't hear justification, you hear the whole deal. Beginning, middle, and end. When you hear the salvation of your souls, that means it's still going on. I don't want you to hear ever again when you hear the salvation of your souls, a finished work. I want you to understand that it has begun, it is finished, but it's also in the process. And I want you to hear all of that involved. All right. Now, um, why don't we realize this present part of our salvation is supposed to be glorious too? There's a couple of reasons. One, we haven't understood, like I've already referenced, that the salvation of our souls is still happening. We've seen it as a finished thing and we don't see that we're still being saved. Secondly, we need to know what is included in this salvation of our souls. So we need to take a look at this word soul. Go back to 1 Peter. And you see there, you see that you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. That word soul in the Greek is the Greek word suke. And that actually means all of who you are. What, all that makes you, you. Your personality, your nature, your tendencies. Listen closely now. I have to meddle. Are there some people whose nature or tendency is to be pessimistic? The Bible says that the salvation of your soul should affect that. But many of us say, well, I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm just a pessimistic person and that's the way I'll always be. You don't understand what soul means when it says salvation of your soul. Do you understand what I'm saying? It should have an effect on all of who you are. If it is not, and please don't hear me as, as making a judgment, well, that guy's not saved then. No, no, no. I'm just saying that you need to understand that when God is in this process of changing you from glory to glory, He's not just talking about giving you a place in heaven because you prayed a prayer and you trusted Him as your Savior and one day you're going to experience it. Until then, you just got to hang on by faith. He's saying, I want to transform you in this time, and when I save you and have saved you and are saving you, I want to save your soul, which includes all of what makes you you. Are there not some people who tend to be worriers? But the Bible says that the salvation of your soul should have an effect on that too. You understand what I'm saying? The, remember how when Jesus met Peter, what he said was, You are Simon, but you're going to be rock man. Did he look like rock man for a while? No. Even after salvation, he didn't look like rock man. But in time, what happened? He became. He turned into rock man. Peter was saved when he made his profession of faith in Jesus Christ in Matthew 16. But he was in the process of being saved all the way until the time of his death when he received the fullness of the coming salvation. But if you look at Peter, you will see Peter being brought from glory to glory. It affected who he was. He stopped being so wishy-washy, so uh, reactionary, and he became solid, relaxed, a man of faith. And folks, please, 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 when you hear ever again someone talk about salvation, stop thinking of it as just the justification part, but see it as the whole part. And, you know, thank God for the glorification part that's coming. But I want you to say... That includes what's going on right now. 
And that will help you. You've heard me talk about taking that gift of salvation off the shelf and putting it back in front of you. That will help you do that because it's more than just what happened when you trusted Christ as your Savior. You're supposed to be experiencing this glory now. Now, let me deal with it some more here. There are some people that are cynics. Right? Part of their nature, is isn't it? Cynicism. Should the salvation of their soul have an effect on that? Absolutely. See, I don't want you to fall prey anymore to the Satan's lies of, well, that's just who I am. That's my, that's my makeup. The Bible says that that will change your makeup. You know how I can prove it to you? Some of you have heard this story before. Some of you haven't. When I was graduating high school back in 1983, I found out that I was in the top two of my graduating class. And it scared me to death because... The top two of the graduating class had to give a speech at graduation. Now you got to understand, this is a little town in New Hampshire. Graduating class of only 26 people in this little high school. But just the thought of having to stand in front of maybe 300 people who would have been at graduation, the thought of standing in front of them and giving a speech scared me so much that I intentionally started bombing tests in hopes of dropping my grade point average by graduation. I have since confessed this to my parents, but they never knew at the time. They were proud that I graduated fourth in my class. They had no idea. I could have been first or second, but I wasn't going to let that happen. But look at what God has done in my life. Oh, I was saved back then. He had already given me the gifts that He would given me. They hadn't manifested themselves in the way in which they have over the years. Now you put me in front of 100,000 people, I'll be drooling. Let me talk to these folks. I want to go talk to these people. I have a heart to go talk in front of thousands. What happened? I'm being changed. Salvation of my soul is happening. God's doing a work in my life. Folks, Too many of us don't realize that your salvation is supposed to have an effect on who you are. All of who you are. Do you understand? You ever notice all the way through the Bible, they gave him a new name. Gave him a new name. Yeah, you're you're Abram, but you're going to be Abraham. Yeah, you're Sarai, but you're going to be Sarah. God sees us as a new creation, and we are a new creation. And we need to start understanding that this salvation of our soul affects all of that. And stop falling prey to the enemy's lies of, that's just who I am, that's just how my makeup is. And I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'm just going to be miserable until then. The Bible says that your salvation was glorious. Your glorification is going to be glorious. But the middle part, sanctification and what we call salvation, is supposed to be glorious too. Change from glory to glory. And folks, I'm going to tell you, some of you are going to need to repent tonight. To agree with God that you have been wrong, to think that that aspect of you wouldn't change. That controlling nature wouldn't change. That addiction to whatever it is, it's just how I'm wired, wouldn't change. You need to confess tonight in agreement with God. You don't have to tell Him. He already knows. That's not what I mean by confession. God's going to speak to your heart and you need to say to Him, you're right. I give that up. I'm not going to hold on to this lie and just stay the same person. Lord, You said that You would make me new and I believe it tonight. I'm experiencing the salvation of my soul. And folks, let me just tell you, if you started to see those aspects of who you are, Start to change? Would you not start to experience a little glorious joy? Wouldn't it be kind of fun to say, 
Wow! I don't immediately react anymore like I used to. I don't panic like I used to. What's going on? Something's happening to me. I don't think that when trouble happens that it's my fault anymore like I used to. Something's happening to me. People are going to say, what's... Give reason for the hope that's lying within you. You know, we always hear about that verse, don't we? I'm not going to convict you and, and no, I'm just going to ask you. How many people have asked you to give reason for the hope that's in you? Bible would be ready to give reason when people ask. And nobody's asking. We need to go back to the salvation of our souls. That's supposed to be the goal of your faith. The whole you being changed. Let's keep going. I'll stop there for now. Go back to 1 Peter. And look at verses 8 and 9. Mainly verse 8. What word in verse 8 is used over and over and over? It's four times actually. Does anybody see it? You got it. Good for you, Fred. Look at it. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Did you catch it? What should be the focus? Him. Not what He wants me to do. Most of us think we're being real good Christians by saying, Lord, just tell me what you want me to do. He says, no. This isn't how this relationship works. I don't want you to go do for me. I want you to know me. I want you to come rest in me. I'm actually the one who does it through you. But you're sitting around as a Christian thinking you're growing because you're saying, I just want to do the will of God. The will of God is to believe in the one that He sent. The will of God is to know Him. So I want to take you back. Put a bookmark here. I want to take you back to Proverbs chapter 8. I'll give you a real quick run through of some things that I talked to the guys about today at the men's luncheon. Proverbs chapter 8. You can later on go and take a look at the, uh, the whole chapter by itself. But I just want to deal with a couple of points from there real quick. There's three things I want you to see from Proverbs chapter 8. First one I want you to see is this. Wisdom is calling out to you. Wisdom is not waiting for you to come find Him. Wisdom is calling out to you. Look what it says in chapter 8 verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the, path, uh, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city at the entrances, she cries aloud. To you, O man, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. And all the words of my mouth are just. None of them is ever crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. And they are faultless to those who have knowledge. I'm going to stop there, there for now. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Wisdom is calling out to you and saying, I want you to know me. You, you don't have to go find wisdom. Wisdom calls out to you. second thing I want you to see is this. The reason why most of us miss wisdom is because we're either confused or distracted. You see, we're searching for what wisdom offers in many other ways. And I could take the time, like a lot of preachers do, to talk about how we try to find fulfillment in sex and drugs and whatever and all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking to a group of people here today who are believers. And I know there are Christians who still struggle with pornography and different things. And if that's you, listen to the Spirit tell you, you don't need that to find fulfillment. You need wisdom. But at the same time, I want to talk to you Christians today 
who have sought to find what wisdom offers, that fulfillment that is calling out to you, you sought to find it in serving God. I've been there. I used to actually get most of my satisfaction from what I did with God. And I won't take the time to tell the story, but God had to take me through a breaking process to the point that He asked me this question. And this was about six and a half years ago. He broke me. He set me down and He said this, What if you never preach again? Is your relationship with me enough, Jim, that you will be satisfied just with your salvation? Or do you have to only get what you, your satisfaction from serving me? What if you couldn't preach? Would I be enough? And I had to get to that place where I could honestly, after fighting, say, Lord, if I never preach again, you're enough. Many of us seek to find satisfaction in other things. Look what it says in verses 10 and 11. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So the first thing I want you to see is wisdom's calling out to you tonight. Secondly, the reason you might not realize it is because you're distracted or confused. You're searching for what wisdom offers. You're searching for fulfillment and everything else but wisdom. But here's the third and most important part from this passage. Wisdom is not a thing. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is a person. If you look closely, you'll see that wisdom describes itself in the personal manner, doesn't it? Look at the start in verse 27. I was there when He, meaning God, set the heavens in place. When He marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When He established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. When He gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep His command. And when He marked out the foundations of the earth. Look at verse 30 though. Then I was the craftsman at His side. Wisdom is saying, not only was I there before the creation of the world, wisdom is saying, I helped make the world. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in His presence, rejoicing in His whole world, and delighting in mankind. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself, and all who hate me love death. Have you noticed how wisdom is talking like it's a person? You know why? Listen, wisdom is Jesus Himself. I'm not going to take the time to turn there, but in, first, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15-17, through 17, it says that He was the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. He existed before the world was made, and oh, by Him everything was made. Doesn't that sound like what wisdom just said? That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15-17. through 17. You go look, you'll see that it says almost word for word what wisdom is saying. Wisdom says, I was there before the creation of the world, and I helped make the world. Jesus was there before the creation of the world, and He helped make the world. Oh, but it gets better. The wisdom says, come to me. Who said that? When Jesus showed up on the earth, didn't He say that? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, you are weary, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Listen, He says, listen and learn of me. We all get focused on that light burden and easy yoke, and that's great, but don't miss on the fact that Jesus said, learn of me. That sounds like wisdom, word for word. Jesus in John 7.37 said, And if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. If anyone's hungry, let him come to me. Folks, what I want you to understand is wisdom is not a thing. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is Jesus Himself. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him. 
And though you don't see Him now, you love Him and you are filled with, you believe in Him and you love Him and you're filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. Why? Because you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls, which is the whole deal. See, here's the deal. If I were to ask you, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Most of you would say yes, right? You would, and I would ask you why. You'd say, because I believe that Jesus has saved me. I've trusted Him as my Savior. I, I, I know I'm secure. Right? Now, if you were to ask most Christians today, how are you doing in your walk? Oh, not so good. Right? Wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that in the same way in which you received Jesus as Lord, Colossians 2.6, uh, 2, Colossians 2.6, so what? Walk in Him. How come we can rest in Jesus for our salvation, but we cannot rest in Him for our sanctification? Why can't you say, I'm being sanctified? How are you doing in your sanctification process? Thank God it's not up to me. Don't you remember the beginning part of this study of 1 Peter? Who does the sanctifying process? God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all those are the right answer. It's Him. It's the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He's the one who will finish what He started. You need to rest in Him for this part of salvation just like you rest in Him for your salvation that when it began. But too many of us are still thinking it's up to us. We're not doing so well. Well, you know what's interesting about the Lord? He's not in a hurry as much as all preachers think He is. You see, He is predestined you to be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean it has to happen today. Right? The other days you don't feel saved? It's an easy question. That's a yes or no one, by the way. Yeah, there are days you don't feel saved, but you know you're saved, even though you don't feel it, right? Are there days that it doesn't look like Jesus is doing a good job of sanctifying you? Yes. But that doesn't mean that He's not. Actually, if you look at the Scriptures, you'll see that the times when we're beating ourselves up because we fell are the times that God actually uses to grow us. Right? Peter, or he actually said, Simon, Satan asked to sift you his wheat, and I prayed for you. And his prayer wasn't that he'd pass the test. His prayer would be when he failed the test that his faith would not fail. In other words, I want you to fail. Doesn't that sound crazy? Because you're going to learn what you could only learn through failing. Well, that would get me in a lot of trouble with some preachers that just said that God wanted them to fail. But read your Bibles. God knows we're dust. And He, in order for us to learn what we need to learn, He has to get us broken. And when we think we can do it, like Peter did, Oh, Lord, you don't know me. I'll die for you. He's afraid to tell a girl that he knew him. Right? A little servant girl, if anything. Oh, and you, you want to feel better about yourself? Does anybody know what, what Peter had just experienced within that week? Uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. He came down from the mount where he had seen the glory of God shine through, and the angel, sorry, I mean, the, the glory of God surround them, and Moses and Elijah show up. Peter's freaking out, saying, We need to build temples here or something, you know? And God's saying, Relax, relax. And he comes down from seeing Jesus' glory. And says, I don't know him. That's a pretty, pretty big fall, don't you think? How could he? Just like you could. But I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to rest tonight in the fact that you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is what? 
the salvation of your soul. Did you catch that? When you start to believe that you are receiving what God began, you will start to experience the joy and the peace. Did you, did you catch that? It only comes by faith. If I don't want you to say, I know I'm going to heaven because I trust that God took care of it, but then say, I'm going to do the best I can in order to get there. You need to tonight, in the same way in which you say, say, Lord, I can't do it, but I believe you can. It's yours. I want you to do the same thing with this middle part of the salvation process, folks. Oh, and when you do finally give up and give it to Him by faith, you'll start to experience the glorious part of this part of salvation. Oh, will there be trouble between now and then? Oh, yeah, but take heart. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. I got that part too. I don't expect you to overcome the world. I expect you to rest in me and I'll take care of that. Oh, I've lived in this body. I know how to defeat its flesh. I know how to defeat it with victory over sin. But you're going to have to rely on me by faith every single day. And oh, by the way, every day you're going to have to renew your mind. Every day you're going to have to yield over to me. But you do it in the same way in which you don't worry about your salvation when you wake up tomorrow. I don't want you worrying about your sanctification when you wake up tomorrow. You believe that He will do. I'm receiving the salvation of my soul. Folks, as you heard me say before, when I stopped trying to get better, I started to get better. Because I started to believe that He would do it. Now, Jesus not only says, come to me, He wants us to rest in Him. Correct? Isn't that what Jesus said? Come to me, you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Oh, there'll be things He wants to do, but His yoke, when it's time to do something, and it's not right away, by the way, when it's time to do something, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But don't rush to that. Come to me and you'll find rest. We've been coming to him saying, just tell me what you want me to do. And we think we're being spiritual. And God says, no, no, no. It's not it. You know, as wonderful as it would sound, but what, what if one of my kids came to me every day and said, what do you want me to do? Are you happy with me, Daddy? Am I doing good? How am I doing, God? I mean, Daddy, and, and what do you want? They can call me God if they want to, but I probably won't let it happen. But, but do you understand what I'm saying? It, it sounds like it would be great, but it wouldn't be great. It would grieve me that my child would not understand that I love them. And if there's something I want them to do, I'll let them know. But until then, go play. Go be a kid. Don't sit there saying, how am I doing, how am I doing, how am I doing? A lot of you have been doing that. A lot of you have been walking through this part of your salvation saying, how am I doing, how am I doing, how am I doing? I'm not doing so good, I'm not doing so good. Oh God, I'll do better. And we walk the aisle and rededicate ourselves and I promise I'll do better, God. And you don't get it. You are receiving the goal of your faith. Whether you feel it or not, you are receiving the goal of your faith. He will finish what He started. Why don't you just rest in it? The same way in which you rest in your salvation, rest that He'll get you there. And that's when you start to experience it. Alright? Go to Romans chapter 15. I think this verse sums it all up in one of the most awesome ways. Get this verse highlighted. Treasure it in your heart. I didn't say memorize it. I think actually, I would would actually challenge you to show me anywhere that the Bible says we're supposed to memorize Scripture. The Bible says meditate on it. The Bible says treasure it. Hide it in your heart, which by the means treasure it. But we preachers have taken the fact that the Bible says we're to treasure the Word, and we say you're supposed to go memorize it. How many of you can memorize like I can? Exactly. How many of you struggle with memorization, period, of anything? And how many of you memorize stuff just to pass the test, but you couldn't tell me what in the world you memorize now, right? We've all done that. But you know what? I haven't found 
find anywhere in the Bible where it says we're to memorize it. But we've been told that we're to memorize Scripture. No, no, I want to tell you this way. Put it in your heart. Meditate on it. Think on it. Oh, by the way, it'll get in. It'll get in. People say, Jim, you you have an incredible memory. First of all, it's a gift of God so I can do what He's asked me to do. But at the same time, it's not because I've sat and memorized it. You ask my family. They've been, Becky's been living with me for 21 years and we've been knowing each other for 23. I don't sit and memorize Scripture. I read it a lot. And I treasure it. And I meditate on it. And as I do, it gets stuck. I guarantee you, you just feed on it and trust God, it'll get stuck. But when you go and try to memorize it, most of us grew up with that Bible drill. Remember Bible drill? And then you'd stand there and you'd be all nervous. And we start to quote our verse and they'd say, Oh, you left the word and off. Remember? All right. Rest in Him, folks. Listen to Romans 15, 13. Listen to this. May the God of hope fill you. By the way, who's doing the work? God. It's all through the Bible, folks. I don't know how we've told you had to go do it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you what? Trust. Trust in Him. Some of you are dealing with some issues right now, right, Marie? Trust in Him. He's got it. How? That ain't my job. When? That's not my worry. He'll do it. Trust in Him. And He'll fill you with joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may, oh, I love this part, overflow with hope. We just want some. And as I've been talking to you about hope, you've been sitting there saying, I just want a little. Right? He says, you're supposed to overflow with it. It may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Please don't hear this in the wrong way, but I thank God for the fact that people are just saying, Jim, I want to be around you. I just feel better when I'm around you. You have a peace. You have a joy. I want to be around you. Praise God because He's doing that. It ain't me. But it's starting to overflow. Of course, when you're my size, you overflow into the people's seat next to you when you're on the airplane too. But that's not, not the same thing. I, I actually honestly wanted to offer the poor lady next to me on the plane, hey, do you want me to pay for half of your seat? I'm already sitting in it. So, but uh, That's why I don't sit in the middle. Otherwise, I have to pay for two seats, half of each side. I just get the aisle. I'm not talking about that kind of overflow. With this hope, this joy, folks, when you really rest in Him, you start to really believe it. And by the way, you start to experience His, his, his joy as well and His glory. Look, let me read it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You want a verse to meditate on? Meditate on that one. Just think on it over and over and over and the little parts of it, He'll stick them out in your mind. Listen to me. You are not to trust in what you do for Him. Do not trust in what you should do for Him. Many of us think we're uh, you know, being spiritual when we say, oh, I, ought to, I ought to do this for God. We think that that's God talking to us. Just recently, I've had shared with me, and I've been teaching it to other people now. When God speaks to you, He'll tell you, do this. He won't say, you should. He won't say, you ought. He's my Lord, remember? He's your Lord. A lot of times we'll drive by someone on the highway and think, well, I probably ought to go turn around. A Christian thing would do. That's not God talking. God is not going to say you ought to. If it's something He wants you to do, you will hear your father say, help that person. You will hear your father say, give that person some money. You will hear him say specifically what to do. He will not say you ought to or you should. So when you hear you ought to or you should, it's not your father. 
I was talking with a man just recently in New Orleans while I was there this weekend. And he said, sometimes I'll lay in the bed and I'll think, I need to get up and read my Bible. He said, is that God? And I said, look, you got to understand, first of all, I'm not God. I can't tell you yes or no whether or not that was God. But if you want my opinion, I'd say it probably wasn't God. He said, God, Satan wouldn't want me to get up and read my Bible. I said, okay, let's just take, for example, that that was God speaking to you. You think it's God. You're going to read your Bible. Where? There's 66 books. Does he want you just to get up and flip it open? God wouldn't say, get up and read your Bible. If God were to tell you to read the Bible, God would say, I want you to go look at love. I want you to go to the back of your Bible and look at concordance of fear. You understand what I'm saying? He would give you a specific thing to go look at. He wouldn't just say, read your Bible. And most of us are running around beating ourselves up, feeling guilty because we're not doing all that we ought to do. Been there? You haven't learned to rest in Him yet, have you? Learn to rest in Him. Learn to rest in Him. Listen to what David Wilkerson's devotional... By the way, David Wilkerson has already gone to be with the Lord. He died uh, in April of this year in a car crash. But a wonderful preacher in, in, in uh, New York City. Remember the old cross and the switchblade book? David Wilkerson. And he just a godly, godly man. He sends out devotionals and how he's still doing it from heaven, I don't know. But he's got email up there. <clears throat> Actually, it's his, uh, it's his family that keeps sending out old email. But God's timing is so awesome. Listen to what David wrote whenever he wrote this one. He says, if you want the peace of God to reign in your life, you have to quit several things. You must quit trying to figure out how God will work everything out. But before we go any further, we've got to deal with this. Why? Why do we need to quit trying to figure out... And the answer is easy, by the way. Why do we need to quit trying to figure out why, how God's going to do things? The answer is easy. It's not your job. You're not God. That's His job. So if you find yourself wondering, how is this going to work? Stop. It's going to rob you of the peace. Secondly, you've got to quit worrying and fretting. The Bible does say, be anxious for nothing. Correct? Be anxious for what? Nothing. Nothing. Now that doesn't mean that there won't be times that a wave of anxiousness comes. When that comes, God says, don't be afraid. And we need to let it go. I mean, when Paul was in that boat about to be shipwrecked, the Bible says they had all lost hope of being saved. And an angel came and said to Paul, don't be afraid, Paul. The angel wouldn't have said don't be afraid if Paul wasn't afraid. So don't beat yourself up if you have a day that you're afraid. It's going to happen. You're still in the flesh. You need to renew your mind, correct? So when that time comes and you find yourself being anxious, let it go. Jim, I feel like I'm supposed to do something. No. If there's something you are to do, your father will tell you. He doesn't stutter. He knows how you have been made. I got three kids. I do not deal with them all the same way. I know how to deal with Nicole, and it's different with Elise, and it's different with AJ. Because I know them and I love them, I don't have the same set of formula for how I deal with them. You have more than one kid, you know what I'm talking about. You find their makeup, and you know how best to teach them. Your father knows how you're made. He can work with you. So if you haven't heard anything, he hasn't spoken. Rest. You also need to quit telling God what you think is right for you. There's nothing wrong with saying, here's my desire, but leave it at that. Jesus said, here's my desire, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Right? You've got to quit telling God what you think is right for you. Because when you do that, what are you really saying? 
I think I know more than you. I think I know better. And you hopefully, if you were to be asked that question, you know the right answer. Once you realize, okay, I don't know better than God, then relax. Let it go. And most of all, you must quit thinking that you're a failure. Stop thinking that you don't please God, he said. I'm going to say that again. Stop thinking that you're a failure. Stop thinking that you don't please God. Whose job is it to conform you into His image? It's His job. You don't sit around saying, I need to save myself better, right? You know you're saved. Then why do you think you need to be in the saving of yourself better? It's all part of your salvation. And He already said, remember our study of the New Covenant? Remember the sprinkling of the blood? The Old Covenant said, I'll do my part, you do your part. The New Covenant, God says, I do it all. You receive it by faith. So rest in that. Let's wrap up with Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Before we get there, yeah, go ahead, dude. You know, you had mentioned, you know what each one of your kids' makeup is. Makeup is mm-hmm. how, to, how to handle each one. And God knows ours. The other thing is not to try to get somebody to That's right. Exactly. And don't we have a tendency in Christendom to how He did it for me is how He's supposed to do it for you? That's right. Folks, just just let let God take care of your brother and sister too. The Bible says if you see your brother in a sin, you are spiritual, restore them gently. But all you're doing is pointing them back to who God is and what He said. You didn't you to tell them how to ought to do it. Uh, There's a lot of things that the Bible's we might think is sin, the Bible doesn't say is. Yes, sir, go ahead. You know, that underlines all of that is our tendency to measure either ourselves or others where we are and getting to where we want to be or where we think we need to be. And we're, we're kind of hardwired to mark milestone events. Yep. So when we're saved, when we go to be with the Lord, and the process in the middle gets lost because we're measuring how close we are or how far we've come. You know, you brought up a really good point here. For those that couldn't hear what Chris was saying, uh, he said we have a tendency to measure where we are, and that actually hurts us. What did Paul say? He said, I want to know Christ more. We should all be straining toward more of Jesus. He said, all of you who are mature should take such a view of things, but at least live up to what you've already attained. He didn't say, don't measure yourself, I should be here by now. He just simply said, you should be at least hungering for more of Him. Yep. So you're saying we shouldn't be measuring. If we're going to have that. <laughs> exactly. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. You, I agree with you. We shouldn't be measuring. The Bible does say examine yourself, 2 Corinthians 13.5, to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? Yeah, you better make sure you got the Spirit. But it doesn't say to measure myself. Paul even said, I don't even judge myself. I wouldn't give myself a fair judgment. And I can't judge other people's motives. But I'm leaving that up to God. I'm just living what He tells me to do and I'm trusting in Him and it'll all, get, it'll all come out in the wash. I, I'm glad you brought that out, y'all. Stop telling everybody else how they ought to do it and stop measuring whether or not you're there yet. That's God's job. By the way, remember I told you earlier in the lesson that how um, God broke me and said, am I enough? 
What I didn't tell you was he started that process three years earlier and asked me a question. He had asked me that same question three years earlier. Am I enough? And I didn't answer the question three years earlier because I knew the answer and I didn't like it. And God didn't ask me that question again for three years. But when I left the pastorate and went into this ministry, and then God had showed me how He could open the doors, and I preached in five different places around the country in the first month. And then the very next month, there was nothing for the rest of the year and all in the next year. And those doors just shut, and I had nowhere to go. And I wasn't pastored in the Atlantic anymore, and I had to go sit in the balcony and hide. I remember sitting, Becky will tell you, I told her, look, you guys go to church today, I'm not going to go to church. But before that I said, you go to Sunday school, and then I'll go to, I won't go to Sunday school, but I'll just go to church. And I went and snuck in the balcony. People are looking at me like, what are you doing here? We thought you left here to go preach. I thought to myself, shut up. <laughs> I was so mad at God. But listen to me. It was when I finally said, I'm not even going to church. After three weeks of that, I just said, I'm not even going to church. Kids will probably tell you they remember it. It was like, Dad's not going to church. But I was so mad at God, I said, I want to go to church now. And I sat home and he and I had it out. And he reminded me of that question they'd asked me three years earlier. Listen to me. God had asked me a question and I didn't answer and he waited three years. He's in the process of conforming me and God knows when and how. Don't let the preacher tell you you ought to be here at this point by now. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He doesn't say, I pray that you'll do a better job. He says, I'm praying that God would be allowed to strengthen you out of His glorious riches with power and through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in His love, not in how good you've been, or whether or not you have earned it, but rooted and established in His love may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, and by the way, in case you didn't get what I was saying, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to His power that is at work within us, not should be, is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Does that not sound like the ever-increasing glory to glory? It's happening. You're not enjoying it. Correct? How do you enjoy it? You rest in Him. Just like you already have for salvation. Are you saved? Praise God, yes. It has nothing to do with me. Are you being saved? Praise God, yes. And it has nothing to do with me. And is He bringing your salvation? Yes, thank God. It had nothing to do with me. And when you learn to rest in that, folks, you will be filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. Why? Because you're receiving what He's already doing. He's saving you. 
you're going to be all right. Stop beating yourself up because you can't tie your shoes yet. You'll learn to tie your shoes, little Billy, little Billy, little little Susie. You'll 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 learn it. You remember you know when you raised your kids and they were freaking out because they weren't there yet, and I'm not learning to drive really well. And you'll get there. You'll get there, Elise. in the fact that your Father loves you. Let me pray for us. Father, all this from just these two verses, and we didn't even have time even to get to the fact that the prophets searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find when this was going to happen. This grace that they were being told to write about And the glories that would follow, the suffering of Jesus, and the glories that would follow. Lord, the prophets were realizing, wow, I'd like some of that. Is that going to happen in my lifetime? And and they found out that it wasn't to happen in their lifetime. It was to happen in ours. And the angels, we don't even understand that. We'll deal with that next week. But Lord, the angels even long to look into this wonderful relationship that we have been given. Lord, this, this salvation that we as Gentiles have been given to just make Israel jealous. And Lord, we're walking around fretting because we're not doing a good enough job for You. Father, forgive us tonight. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your forgiveness. May we receive by faith as we agree with You, and that's what confession means. May we agree with You that You are the one doing it and not us. And the same way in which we have totally rested in the fact that we're going to heaven when we die because of You, may we rest in the fact that this middle part of the salvation is happening too. And Lord, that's when we experience the glory and the joy and the hope. And may You fill us to the overflowing with that as we trust in You. Even though we don't see You, we love You. And even though we don't see You now, we believe in You and we are being filled. May that be happening tonight. Oh, and Lord, may we think of that song that was written from Proverbs chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Lord, You are more precious than silver. Lord, You are more costly than gold. Lord, You are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares with You. Lord, may we come to understand that You are wisdom. We don't need to be seeking anything else but what You have done and who You are and what You will do. And may we just be a lot more fun to be around as we rest in You. We pray this in Your name. Amen.